AVXL 154 was recorded on September 16th, 2021. Value Electronics, their traditional TV shootout goes 4K, 8K, and they've added their first ever ultra short throw projector pick. We got a bit more on TO small parameters and why we use them to design speakers. And yes, yes, you can wire your home theater. I promise. Don't forget to email ask at avxl.com if you got a question for us. And thank you, thank you, thank you to each and every one of you that supports us at patreon.com slash avxl. Testing, one, two, three. All right. I'm not blowing anything out. Ignorant weasels chewing on your soul. Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah. Welcome to AVXL, your guide to the best in the home video and audio gear, no matter what your budget is. I think we have nothing to talk about in the universe of headphones, but we do have a lot to talk about. Nice. But you're going to disrupt the value <laughs> electronics shootout to remind everyone that it's time to register for CES 2022. I couldn't help but see the email flow into the box. I was told in a recent conversation that there was going to be like somewhere between one and 2,000 vendors at CES. That would be approximately one quarter to one-fifth or one-tenth of their usual number. What? You mean I might have a chance of actually seeing every vendor at the show over a week? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. I managed to do that a couple times. Oh. It's a good workout. Oh, yeah. It's a painful workout. I was younger. You will get your and steps And the show in. was smaller. Yep. Oh, my goodness. All right. We, I'm not even... Can Jam is still on at the end of September. We'll see if that goes off. Uh, that's the headphones gathering. They're going to be doing one in New York, too. They also do one in Singapore and elsewhere. Bigger news, though, is Value Electronics is a... Uh, well, it's a television store, kids, and they do annual shootouts to find the best flagship TV out there. As I mentioned in the opening of the show, they've got uh, uh, an ultra-short-throw projector shootout alongside their 4K, 8K TV shootout. Robert Heron, what did they find? Oh, yeah. This was a cool <laughs> shootout. This is taking the absolute best TVs of 2021, mm -hmm. including the Samsung QN90A in the 4K space, as well as the G1 OLED from LG and Sony's A90J. In addition, they also included the new 75U9DG, that is Hisense's dual cell TV that is available now. These TVs were pitted in standard dynamic range in both daytime viewing scenarios and a separate calibration for nighttime or reference viewing. Overall, it's really no surprise, but the OLEDs took most of the crowns with the Sony 65-inch, and most of these were 65-inch TVs, save for the Hisense, which was, I believe, only available currently in 75 inches. Sony took the crown with that A90J. You pay a premium for that TV compared to something like a C1 OLED from LG, mm -hmm. especially for SDR viewing. It was unrivaled. The LG G1 that was used in this comparison came very close on many of the measurements. However, when you take a look, especially jumping into HDR, the Sony just kind of pulls ahead. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that as Sony's premium flagship design, that's also one of the very first to incorporate some type of additional cooling in the form of an aluminum heatsink spreader on the rear of the panel that allows it to not only drive it harder, but to produce light at longer periods of time, punchier details, uh, and effectively not damage the panel with that kind of technology. We're expecting a lot of other manufacturers to jump on board of that. Panasonic is another company that's also pioneered, in a sense, doing some sort of additional cooling for OLED panels to produce better results. But anyway, yeah, 
no surprise. OLED's taken all the prizes. Uh, also, thank you to the Spare Change YouTube channel for providing excellent coverage of those events. They had a full camera feed there if you want to sit there for the full four to six hours per session and actually take in the setup to the testing to the final presentations. And not to be outdone with just doing 4K TVs, Value Electronics for 2021 introduced an 8K shootout as well. This incorporated three TVs being pitted against each other. One was the LG 77Z series OLED. The other was Sony's XR75 Z93. That's an LCD television with 8K resolution, as well as Samsung's QN900A, their flagship 8K TV for 2021. Again, uh, OLED ruled this one. LG took three of the four metrics that they were grading these TVs on, including 8K native quality, 4K color, 4K upscaling, and 4K black level and shadow detail. And the only place LG did not win and took second place to Sony was in the case of the 4K upscaling, where they were taking what was originally actually 8K content, the same 8K content they were looking at natively. They downsampled that professionally to 4K and then had the TV natively process that in its own capabilities back up to 8K. Hmm. The 8K winner, again, it was the, uh, in this case, the 77ZXPUA, if you want to be very specific. And finally, Value Electronics also this week hosted their first 4K Ultra Short Throw Projector Shootout. This basically included only triple laser designs, including the LG HU85LA, Samsung's LSP9 that we talk about frequently, and Hisense's new L9G series ultra short throw laser projector. Now, I called these all triple laser, and that is technically true. The Samsung and the Hisense actually do feature true RGB laser technology, whereas the LG's HU85 incorporates a red and a blue diode and another blue diode that generates green by using a phosphor material. This was pretty interesting. They used identical screens for all three projectors. They did HDR day viewing mode, since these are typically used with ambient light rejecting screens in brighter rooms. They also did an SDR viewing with the light controlled environment as well, in addition to an HDR reference, which is very similar to how they tested the TVs we just talked about. Again, in this case, uh, I have to say the RGB laser technology from Hisense, the L9G took the crown. I was quite surprised with this, seeing it's a brand new projector design. Looking across the results, I would say that one of the things that stands out is, well, first, Hisense takes most of these categories, but there are a few where either LG or Samsung made a strong showing. In the case of, say, SDR daytime viewing, things like motion resolution. Samsung does a really mm -hmm. good job there, in addition to Hisense. For the reference darkroom viewing for SDR content, they felt that the black levels available from LG's design were a little bit better, whereas Hisense was taking the crown in terms of color accuracy, skin tone, in addition to 24p motion. And when it came to HDR, which is really difficult for any projector, let alone a short throw right. laser design, it was a <laughs> toss up across the board with all of the manufacturers taking at least one award. Uh, in this case, the black level of that LG projector made it shine through in that particular case. No pun intended. As far as ultra high definition details and sharpness, you were looking at Hisense. They were super impressed with how well Hisense did with the geometry and focus of their mirror system and the focusing system <laughs> within this projector. It apparently was easier to work with than any of the other projectors in terms of getting that initial setup just right. One of the challenges they mentioned as well was that 
if there is a weakness to the Hisense projector, it was its tone mapping in terms of when you give it an HDR signal, be it from streaming or a disc, it has like one fixed tone map for everything. And that's not ideal. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Mr. Zahn, the owner of Value Electronics, was quick to point out that something like a premium Panasonic UB9000 disc player, I believe their 800 series also does this, but it has built-in tone mapping tools. So it can automatically provide something that is tone mapped properly for your display device. In this case, it would be the Hisense Laser product, which it's just... It's interesting to see, and it was good to see those three projectors in particular, the, the three I consider in terms of laser color projectors today, what I would actually consider buying. And after my kind of not having much hope for RGB laser projectors, it's good to see the new Hisense actually kind of step up and do something really well. One quirk about this particular comparison and this shootout for the ultra short throw projectors was I haven't yet seen any of the actual calibration data yet. They usually will post that on the Value Electronics website. They typically do that with the TV sets they look at, in addition to providing all the benchmark details. The TV information is all there, but I haven't seen all the projector information included yet. And I am looking forward to seeing some of the actual measurements for the laser projectors that were included in this shootout. But overall, good stuff, great products overall i don't think there were really any losers per se or something that just clearly stood out as being horrible which you know given the price points and everything that's good to see here and we will likely see many more rgb laser projectors coming throughout the rest of this year and going into next year i'm sure it'll be a popular subject and presentation at ces 2022 when we get there in january <laughs> I would not be surprised to see a few there, at least. We wait with bated breath. By the way, that Panasonic, that uh, DPUB9000, that is a $1,000 Blu-ray player. And the uh, next model down, the UB820, uh, sells for about $500. They also seem to be doing some pretty serious work with those. I have to contact, I have to attract somebody at Panasonic to talk about some of what they're doing with those. I think that would be an interesting one. One other quick interesting thing I noticed too, during the setup, they were talking about the throw distance of these projectors and LG was kind of the odd one out. It's the one you can put closest to the wall. However, that mm -hmm. made it really difficult in, in terms of getting that picture perfectly focused from corner to corner. They had the most difficult time getting that particular projector set up. Whereas Samsung and Hisense, you're a little bit further away from the wall with the projector to generate, say, a 100-inch image, but it was easier to set up. And in particular with the Hisense, the focus in geometry was what really stood out. And that's something most people probably don't think about too much with short, ultra-short throws. But that can be a challenge, getting everything looking right compared to a typical standard long-throw projector. It's always nice when they work the way they're supposed to, too. Heck yeah. <laughs> Heck yeah. Switching gears a little bit, uh, we mentioned this last week uh, under the heading Feel the Bass. Uh, you found this on AVS Forum, uh, and somebody had posted it on Cedia. The SMS G50 Active Seismic 50-inch Infrasonic Subwoofer. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> what it laugh is. Because, <laughs> yeah, Ascendo is the company. This is a custom-built, I cannot imagine what the cost is. 50 inches is the subwoofer. The sealed box of subwoofers enclosed in a six foot by six foot by two feet weighs 850-ish pounds. 
Oh if infrasonic sounds like a bad, you know, 1970s ad for home barbering supplies, uh, in this particular context, that means uh, frequencies below 20 hertz. They're claiming 105 dB at 5 hertz and 125 dB at 20 hertz. Uh, basically, wow. it covers from 5 hertz to 100 hertz. They're claiming it moves some air around 1 hertz. If you're asking, and you well should, uh, but Patrick, Robert, I don't listen to obscure high-end recordings of European and the occasional U.S. organ that has pedals down in that 16 hertz range. This is, for example, replicating things like car crashes or other explosions or things that generate a lot of air down there. This thing's crazy. Uh, it's got a DSP-controlled 6,000-watt amplifier. Quote, with each maximum stroke, the SMSG50 moves as much as 40 standard 18-inch subwoofers. That's a lot of air. <laughs> totally. And I think for most human beings, when you start talking about frequencies, uh, if, at least for me personally, under 20 hertz, even getting close to 20 hertz, it's more about feel. Yeah. You feel that more than you actually hear it. It's a different sensation for me. And yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Do I need a 900-pound yeah. subwoofer? No. <laughs> Do I like the way that looks? Hell yeah. It's giant. It's just freaking giant. <laughs> yes, it is. And I'd need at least two of them. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a person standing next to it. It's like it six is. feet tall. Yeah. I just verified. So the Panasonic DBUB420, which starts at around 200 bucks if you can find one, does the uh, optimization of the HDR output for your television. It basically adapts to your TV's. Oh, that has tone uh, mapping features as well. Good, good. Yeah, but you don't get the Dolby Vision, I think. Oh, uh, that's right. You go to the 820 or the super spendy 9000. That's okay, though. For projectors, that might be a yeah. winner anyway. Because you're typically not dealing with Dolby Vision at all on mm. any projector. But having something that can still we do can that dream. tone mapping at a value, that would be a nice feature to add to any projector to just yeah. eke out the best HDR playback experience you can get. Oh my goodness. Hey, uh, if you run everything through Amazon Prime, if you're an Amazon Fire TV subscriber and your HBO app disappeared, uh, it was supposed to. Something like 5 million folks subscribed to HBO through Amazon Prime. HBO wouldn't give Prime access to HBO Max. They want people to sign up directly on their app, so Amazon dropped HBO. The HBO Max app is available on Amazon Fire devices, so you can get your HBO fix that way. I got to say, there's a tremendous, especially if you're into older movies, there's an outrageous uh, selection available on uh, HBO Max. I will also say it's, uh, I've, I've decided I think my new favorite way to find my next movies to watch is to figure out what's disappearing at the end of the month and start there. I have done that myself. <laughs> Once or twice. Uh, I promise I'd, I'd do a little bit more about uh, Teal small parameters. I mentioned those last week when we were talking about breaking in speakers and headphones. The Teal and small of Teal small parameters uh, is Albert Neville Teal of the Australian Broadcasting Commission and Richard H. Small of the University of Sydney. They're basically figuring out how to make speakers work better, how to measure speakers. It is an interesting concept, and uh, it gets really, really complicated and mathy really quickly. That said, there's a few numbers that if you know, you can design an optimal enclosure for a particular driver. The big one is, is uh, FS. 
That's the resonance in three air. This is also basically for mid drivers and woofers. That's the frequency where the driver requires the least effort. When you're looking at a frequency response chart for a driver, it's the point right before where the driver rolls off. So it'll be like down, down to 40 hertz or 30 hertz. And then the, the, the curve goes from, you know, squiggly to the left and then drops like a stone. Right. That's the FS point. That's where the, the driver rolls off. So the lower the FS, the lower the driver goes. Q is the quality or damping factor. QTC helps you sort out how the driver is going to behave in a given box, i.e. how big a box. There's like QTC, QTS, there's other measurements like your QTS. If that's above 0.6, it needs you need a, you need a huge box or a free air design. But essentially it allows you to look at this set of specs and appropriately design a speaker. There's a lot of stuff in there that I'm not going to get into. <laughs> I get that. I'd be curious if anybody knows of an online tool where if you're interested in constructing your own speakers, I'm sure something like this probably exists. There are many. Where you can plug in like shapes you're interested in or approximate sizes of the cabinetry. And then you'd be able to swap in different size drivers and right. different porting options, different, just something you could quickly, uh, quickly, <laughs> something you could at least toss into an engine that would go through to do some pre-verification on your design. I'm sure there's there are plenty of our of listeners who are screaming, yeah, <laughs> screaming at yeah. the There, there are lots right of apps now. that can do this. Like the, the thing that somebody told me a couple of years ago was that, look, there are some free apps you can download that will essentially allow you to design yourself a very competent speaker. Making it a super amazing speaker gets a lot more complicated. One of the measurements, I think I mentioned like QTS above 0.6. For example, a QTS, if it's like 0.4 or lower, that means the driver is, you know, needs or is, is suited for a ported, a vented enclosure like 0.4 to 0.7 uh, means it'll work well in the sealed enclosure. And I guess it's above 0.7 is where you want like a free air or what they call an infinite baffle, inf baffle infinite baffle uh, enclosure. Gotcha. Impedance, by the way, is one of the numbers that are included in Teal Small. And it's one of those things where the, the list of uh, specs you get uh, is incredibly long and incredibly complicated. There's much to nerd out on, should you need something to nerd out on. <laughs> cool. <laughs> uh, moving in a completely different direction, uh, Jay emailed acidavxl.com. He had a great question. He said he got a smoking deal on an AVR and a bunch of Polk speakers on the Facebook marketplace. And he says, how hard is it to wire the speakers yourself if you know about computers and you like working with your hands? He says, what movie would you use to test out the 5.1? And he also says, thanks for the advice and the work each week in the show. And thank you, Jay. When you're looking at speakers, we've told you about this. If you're doing a surround sound, Dolby has great guides to tell you the ideal locations for your new speakers, uh, you know, for surround sounds. In terms of speaker cable, you can absolutely do it yourself. Monoprice has great deals on speaker cable. Uh, I literally, I think all the speaker cable I've bought in the last five years has been some variation on Monoprice's uh, Choice Series 12-gauge copper speaker wire. Some people think 12-gauge is overkill. I like the lack of resistance in case I have a long run. It's just I don't have to think about it. I use right-angle banana plugs these days when I'm feeling fancy. I probably have... 50-odd banana plugs scattered in various boxes around my life. There's another one from Monoprice. The right-angle ones I particularly like because they allow you to uh, not... It, basically, they help you keep from damaging or crimping the cable. They help you keep from damaging or breaking the posts on the back of your amplifier. Totally. They help you keep from dragging your... If you have a very, very small amplifier, from dragging it off the back of your desk. 
but like for I think a 10 pack of monoprice is right angled 24 garat gold plated banana speaker wire cable screw plug connectors is 24 bucks if you can operate a screwdriver you can connect these to the end of your cable and uh, i'm going to throw out some love for my childhood friend tim as tim taught me use a proper delete expletive wire stripper uh erwin makes a really nice automagic one for 22 bucks you can get that on amazon uh it's probably available in the uh uh, in your local hardware store or some variation on it. Basically, wire strippers help keep you from trashing the copper when you're removing the insulation off of the wire. As somebody who went from uh, using diagonal cutters and his teeth to being basically uh, verbally abused as only the son of an engineer who's known you since you were in seventh grade can verbally abuse you. I started using proper uh, wire strippers. Actually, Tim gave me one and then I just refused to use anything else. But uh, I've used a ton of different models. I very prefer the sort of the ones that have a big complicated mechanism on the end that, that clamps the wire, clamps the strippers, and then pulls it off. You can adjust for the length you want. They're easy to use. Uh, you don't break the copper. You don't damage the copper. And that just makes things nice and clean. I was going to say, we've mentioned companies like Blue Jeans Cable in the back. Uh, if you want a particular length of speaker cable, they will deliver you the speaker cable that you choose from their selection. And they're not promising that you're going to be able to hear angels fart if you use their $9,000 speaker cables. Their stuff's reasonably priced. It's extremely accessible. They have their own house brands. They use Belded and they use other basic stuff. But they ultrasonically weld their banana plugs. If you uh, if you buy banana plugs, if you suspect them, they basically ultrasonically weld those to the copper. And that's really nice just because they will never fall off. Um, <laughs> I would only add to this, my preference for speaker cable is actually from Monoprice. They're CL2 rated just because it has right. that outer jacket. I believe in 12 gauge, it's only available in white, unfortunately, but for some of the other gauges, you can actually get the outer jacket in black, which can help yeah. hide it if you need to hide it at all. I just prefer it because the two conductors inside of the outer jacket are color coded quite clearly. One's red, one's black, or you can get actually multiple wire designs where you can have, I believe, I believe four is definitely right. available. So if you have multiple speakers in a similar location or something like that. It makes it really or easy. Or you want to buy wire. It's <laughs> it's super easy to work with, and it's ready to go if you need to throw yeah. it in a wall. Otherwise, I had 200 feet easy. of that in the old house. I still have Some a couple hundred feet of that in storage. It's good stuff uh, to have. It is. Bob uh, emailed, asked at avxl.com. He says, hi, guys. I think I could provide a supporting example for Patrick's theory about how our hearing adapts over time to changes. A few years ago, he writes, I noticed some subtle hearing issues, and after a hearing test, it turned out I was down like 20 decibels in my left ear. The fact that I had hardly noticed shows how adaptable hearing can be, but it got more interesting. The cause was something called otosclerosis, which mechanically interferes with the transmission of sound from eardrum to the cochlea. This causes both a reduction in amplitude and a time delay. Fortunately, in my case, it was correctable by a surgical procedure called a stapedectomy, done, of course, with lasers. The recovery from this was quite a lesson in hearing psychology. When my hearing began to return to my left ear, it was, as I'd cautioned, both loud and, the fun part, unbelievably echo-ridden, both holdovers from how my brain had learned to process the faint, delayed signal it had been receiving from my left ear. After two weeks, both disappeared as my brain readapted. While all this was going on, I did some reading on hearing in general and found out most of what I 
learned in grade school biology was outdated. A couple of fun facts. The cochlea actively amplifies sound, a fact only confirmed in 1978. Some people can discern a time difference in the arrival sound of their ears as small as 10 microseconds. I've wondered if the latter may play some part in the golden ear phenomena. Preservation of the phase relationship between multiple audio channels isn't a spec I've ever seen for either equipment or compression algorithms, so perhaps that getting muddied is perceivable and objectionable to some listeners. I'll leave that to you, Brainiacs. Great show. Regards, listener Bob. And Bob, thank you. That was an amazing letter. I do know there's a lot of speakers out there that very precisely figure out sort of the center of where the sound comes from in a particular driver from the tweeter to the mid to the woofers and they align those fore and aft in the speaker so that the sound from each one arrives to your head your ear i should say that's uh, cool your pinna at precisely the same time for example um the vandersteen speakers uh, that we've always heard and love are, are an example of that where they particularly lay out the drivers in that uh, aspect Lots to talk about there, none of which I'm going to get into right now. But, Bob, really good letter. Thank you so much. Good luck. Yeah. Oh, and congrats on getting your hearing back. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and if you're ever having a surgery or any other medical procedure performed upon one of your senses, it really does sort of focus you in terms of wanting to know all you can about it and, and going from there. I've been through a few different kinds of eye surgeries in my lifetime, and it's in part... One reason I know a little bit more about vision, maybe, than I think most people probably want to know. <laughs> or the reason maybe I'm into display systems oh so much. I appreciate the uh, the performance of the ear, especially when it's working properly, in addition to the eyeball. Yeah. It's uh, pretty beautiful stuff. Hmm. Vandersteen uh, speakers. Vandersteen.com. They're out of California. Actually, I had a pair of their speakers for a while. Uh, they talk a lot about the idea of having time and phase correct audio reproduction. And a lot of that is sort of the staggered distances of the drivers from your face or your ears. <laughs> Very cool. What are you obsessed with on YouTube this week? Well, the SpaceX channel um, in the immediacy because of the recent launch of the Inspiration4. That's the basically a, a rocket with four people inside of it in a pod. Uh, <laughs> Non-astronauts, technically. These were, quote-unquote, civilians. Granted, they've been training since March. But they are currently orbiting Earth for the next few days. And they have one of the best, coolest-looking domes that they can stick their head up in and look around outside of the craft itself. And oh, wow. my first question was, I really thought this was going to be like a one orbit trip and then land right in the ocean. I didn't realize they were going to be up there for three days. And then my Whoa. my second question was, OK, how do you go into the bathroom? And it turns out there's actually kind of like a secretly designed toilet on this thing. I don't know if it's a joke, but everyone is reporting that the toilet is actually up in this plexi. It's probably not plexiglass. It's multi-layered glass dome apparently when you're using the toilet, which is on the roof of this vehicle, uh, you're actually looking around in the dome. I can't believe they set it up that way, but it wouldn't surprise me either. But anyway, yeah. And if you do look up, even what Tesla's described as far as, yeah, we have a toilet in there, but then they get real cagey about how it actually works. Or I, I have not seen any actual specs or design schematics in terms of I... how, how it does its thing. But Anyway, that's going on right now. There's a live feed on YouTube currently of four of the most grinning people I've ever seen floating around in space. 
if you watch nothing else, just watch the first like two minutes of the launch and the look on these four people's faces. It was just like from awe to just giddy laughter <laughs> as they're pulling like five G's. <laughs> oh my goodness. It's awesome. Oh. I actually have a friend who's an engineer that just finished a toilet design, I believe for the International Space Station. Um, I'll see if he has any thoughts on what they might be using uh, the inspiration for. <laughs> I wasn't curious about that part of it until it became kind of like a, a mini mystery. And it's like, oh, there's no close up detailed pictures of that toilet. <laughs> and is it true that it's actually positioned so that when you're sitting on it, you are looking through that bubble with your head practically out of the vehicle, uh, taking in the inspiration and awe that is outer space and a good look at the planet, too, which is pretty cool. Nothing wrong with that. No. And a quick shout out to the folks at Precision Transmission in Amarillo, Texas. They have what I would consider to be one of the most pleasing and relaxing YouTube channels. Even if you're not into automotive, anything, you just like to listen to kind people do really quality work on cool looking things and just the knowledge that's being described and the, the tone of the whole thing. It's just pleasurable viewing. It's it's very pleasing to watch and listen to. And I uh, just want to give a shout out to those guys. It's awesome. Yay. Awesome family entertainment. I've uh, I've watched some of their rebuilds, having invested a, a lot uh, in transmissions over the last decade of my life. Uh, it's fun to watch them tear into these utterly scary and incredibly expensive pieces of hardware they posted a video oh yesterday about the post tuning that goes into a transmission and how they do yeah. it and the dad is clearly more old school using analog gauges and things like that and the son's in the passenger seat with a laptop with all the gauges <laughs> and cluster stuff to program and monitor and it was it, it's just a nice thing to check out even if you're not into a automobiles per se it's just just Great to watch somebody who really knows what they're doing do their thing. It's also amazing to realize how complicated transmissions Holy are. Holy cow. Relatively simple ones. Oh, my it's goodness. It's a mechanical wonder. <laughs> yes. Yes, they are. Uh, I'm rebuilding my home theater this week and uh, tweaking some stuff. And uh, so there's not too much for me to talk about. I'm watching, I'm watching above and beyond trying to figure out how they're going to resolve the 272 various things going on in Ted Lasso Season 2. <laughs> Um, I will say, uh, if anybody out there is a Paramount Plus subscriber, I believe they just added, uh, like 4K, HDR, and Dolby Atmos to their lineup. So that might be, uh, something to keep an eye out for, like Annihilation, Baywatch, uh, Daddy's Home 2, uh, nothing that's really making me scream right now, Paw Patrol, the movie, all in, uh, 4K, uh, uh, DV Atmos, um, Star Trek Into Art Darkness. Actually, that I'd like to see in 4K, hmm. DV Atmos. But a bunch of stuff uh, starting to roll out of there, I think, in anticipation of their launch in Europe. So it's also kind of crazy uh, when you when you look at uh, Paramount Plus. They have a ridiculous back catalog from CBS, MTV, uh, BET, Nickelodeon, Comedy Central, um, something crazy like 30,000 on-demand TV shows in their collection at this point. So that's nice. 
if you're into that kind of thing. Heck if you yeah. like, you know, entertainment that you like. <laughs> Your home theater talk reminded me that I have a boxed, unopened Sonos subwoofer sitting next to me that I need to get set up and pair it with an arc sound bar and take in that experience this weekend with a few uh, Dolby Atmos, Dolby Vision titles. Of it choice. adds some thud to the experience. I'll tell you that much. Excellent. <laughs> One last thought before we go. If you got a question for us, or if you're curious about something, or you want to, if you want our opinion on something, if there's something you haven't heard us talk about, do us a favor: email ask at avxl.com or tweet at Robert Heron, at Patrick Norton, or at avxl. If you want a hashtag, hashtag ask avxl works just fine. Once again, I, I got to thank all of our patrons: Patreon.com/slash/avxl. Your monthly contributions help us keep this show going, and we greatly, greatly appreciate it. Yes, we do. With that, I'm Patrick Norton. I am Robert Heron. And we'll catch you next week on AVXL.